Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. What's up, everybody? This is John. And I'm Kevin. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. We're going to get into the nitty gritty and examine the good, the bad, the ugly, and the laughable in these movies. But we're always coming from a place of love. You don't watch these movies as much as we have unless you have a genuine affection for them. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Hi. Hey, it is John and Kevin coming to you from chilly, blustery Atlanta, Georgia. Where snow might be in the offing. We cross our fingers. Um, it's been a big time here in Georgia. We're we're um, relishing not one but two national championships. Um, if you're not a Georgia sports fan, we, we need you to get down with this. Yes. Por favor. <laughs> Alabama's had plenty of football wins. So Did you love Saban in the opening of that being like, we're just here to get some respect because no one respects <laughs> Alabama. I didn't even hear Boo. him say that. Yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah. Thanks, Nick Saban. That was sweet, though. But yes, uh, Georgia's won. The Braves are still World Series champions if you're uh, keeping track. And there's, That's right. There may not be a baseball season this year, so they might. their reign uh, may last a while. We need to get them to sort that thing out so they can <laughs> sort the Freddie Freeman situation out. Pay that man his money. Pay his money. <laughs> um, but that's neither here, nor, neither here nor there. We're not here to talk about Atlanta or Georgia sports, as much fun as that would be. There are a lot of other podcasts that do that. What there aren't a lot of podcasts that do is talk about 1980s and 90s cult action movies like Red Sonja. Yes. <laughs> We're talking about an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, you guys. That's right. Well, an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that's not supposed to be an Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, movie. Yeah, I think he clocks in on, like, he's in less than 50% of the movie, I think. But still, like, is so prominent. Yeah, he got his billing ahead of, yeah, of, he, of Brigitte Nielsen. Like, like Brando in Superman. Like, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, for not being an Arnold movie, he's in it an, an awful lot. He was sort of, we'll get to it eventually, but he was sort of taken advantage of by his, right. uh, by his old pal Dino De Laurentiis. Right, and is sort of this movie's like deus ex machina. It's like whatever <laughs> whatever something needs, whenever someone what needs saving, Arnold shows up. In honor of the man himself, we're sipping on a little of uh, the finer things. Mm. A little Blanton's bourbon. That's right. We're killing a bottle tonight. That's right. Um, we're not going to pour any out because it's too expensive, but we are going to take a sip. Here's to all of our friends listening along, all of our friends in the last of the Action Heroes podcast network. We clink our glasses. <laughs> Hopefully you heard that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they did. Ah. Mm. And with that, I guess we'll talk about this thing. Kevin, what was yeah. your first exposure to this? Um... <laughs> About a week ago, <laughs> I watched it for the first time somehow. So, this is a blind taste test for, for yours truly. Um, although I do recall it was like on TBS all the time. Absolutely. It, it was on, there was a commercial for it on every single commercial break during like Beastmaster or Conan the Barbarian. Or the, 
it's it, weird to me how there was an a, a brief moment in history where the barbarian genre was like a viable genre yeah, by that, itself. Yeah, like it, like a sub genre of the sword and sorcery genre, yes. the larger genre. We're gonna say <laughs> genre some more before the day is over. Um, yeah, and heavy rotation on TBS. I remember seeing it a lot as a kid. As I rewatched it, and it's been some decades probably since yeah. I've seen it. Like so much comes flooding back to you. It cooks. This thing clocks in at like what an hour and a, a half, sub <laughs> Just, sub ninety minutes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they kept and it moving. They sure as fuck did. They must have cut out a <laughs> lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, it, this was one. And maybe it was just because it was like a female action star, a female lead in Bridget Nielsen. And that was always compelling to like a 10 year old me. Like, yeah. oh, what's up, girl? Um, redhead, definitely good looking. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then Arnold and then a very young Ernie Rays Jr. We'll get into the whole cast list here in a moment. Yeah, but like, there was there was a lot to love in this for, you know, like, uh, I guess I probably saw it when I was like seven or eight, really, okay, yeah. after it had come out and been on TBS. And I know if I had seen it when I was, kid me would have loved this. Oh, yeah. Like, it had everything a 10-year-old would want to see in a movie. Inclu- yeah, including, like, a kid that's good at martial arts. I know, and that like, kid oh. was badass. Yeah, Ernie Rays Jr. was crushing it. So a little backstory on this. It's based on a Marvel Comics character created in 1973. We think that there was also a book before, but she wasn't a barbarian, right? Right. I read where it was, it was a, there was a character named Red Sonia in a Robert E. Howard book. Um, but it was like a, some sort of an adventure story set during the Ottoman Empire okay. in the 1500s. And she was like, a, you know, a, a badass warrior woman but she was not a barbarian the barbarian like angle came when marvel turned it into a comic because there was a conan comic that was hot i think right i mean barbarian shit was hot in the early to mid 80s people love that yeah like he-man and everything else so yeah 1973 created by writer roy thomas who was stan lee's first successor as the marvel editor-in-chief oh cool he co-created characters like wolverine vision Carol Danvers or uh, Captain Marvel, if you rather, Iron Fist, Ghost Rider, and on and on and on. I mean, dude was busy, prolific. Okay. And then the artist was Barry Windsor Smith, who's known for helping create Conan. Yeah. And then he also worked on the very popular um, Weapon X storyline in the Wolverine comic book series in the in the 90s. And this was not the original Conan art, right? Like right. this was the, the comics? Right, exactly. I know that original Conan art... Is also apparently awesome. Right. Like very grim and dark, like the old Lord of the Rings art. Exactly. And stuff yeah. that came before any sort of whatever. Just, I guess, artists were inspired by the, the text. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sword and sorcery, baby. Um, it was directed by Richard Fleischer. Yeah. He who, was, who was a legend. He directed a lot of like proto blockbusters. Like, yeah. like before there were actual blockbusters. So I saw he'd done the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, the one yep. you think of with Kirk Douglas. It's amazing. Yeah, I grew up watching that a lot. Um, he did Tora, Tora, Tora. Classic. I have had Fantastic Voyage. Yeah, did you ever see Barabbas with Anthony Quinn? Yes, my dad loved that and I watched it a lot. Oh man, yeah. yeah. It was like, it's one of my favorite biblical epics. That's a genre too. <laughs> he did Dr. Doolittle. He did a lot of also cult movies like this one. He did Soylent Green. Conan the Destroyer. Conan the Destroyer and Mandingo. <laughs> yes. And, and Mr. Majestic. Uh, yeah, it's just like, Dude he was had a, busy. Varied, a varied career. The coolest bit of trivia to me, did you read about his his dad, no. Max Fleischer? No. His dad was the animator who created Betty Boop. Oh, that's awesome. Um, he also developed the Popeye cartoon from a comic strip. 
He also invented like the bouncing, the little bouncing ball sing along, like where the little ball moves along. That's the, crazy. It was like rotoscope. Yeah. He invented rotoscoping, kind of. Oh my god. Um, also, he briefly had the animation rights to Superman, and he's like gets credit for Superman's first like appearance on a like film. It was a cartoon, right? And he is credited as inventing Superman having the power to actually fly. Before That's that, it was so just like cool. in a comic book, you know, you don't see him moving. And it was just like he can hop to the top of a building. Right. You know, leap small bu- or leap tall buildings or whatever. Right, right, but right. He gave like so Fleischer's dad gave Superman the ability to fly. The power of flight. That do anything <laughs> for you. Um, so that's just. Yeah, that's rowdy to what me. a crazy family <laughs> legacy. That's like um, uh, Mank. Like yes. that, uh, like that whole deal. Like your, when your family's in it, they're in it. Um, the producer was, so it was like produced by Dino's company, the Dino De Laurentiis Corporation. So Dino was definitely involved. Legendary producer mogul, dude. Produced like hundreds of films. Right. Um, and then written by, as we said, Robert E. Howard, who's uh, credited with the character in the book. And then the screenplay was Clive Exton and George MacDonald Frazier. Who neither one had done much. Right. I saw Fraser wrote the screenplay, like the screen story for Octopussy. That was like the only thing <laughs> of, of either of them that I saw that I recognized. Um, edited by Frank Urieste, who was nominated for Oscars for Robocop, Die Hard, and Basic Instinct. So no slouch. Badass. Yeah, like he was killing it. And then music by the legendary Ennio Morricone. Yeah, that's about as legendary as a composer of film scores can be like him and John Williams. Yeah. Uh, and then I want to get, sh- well, I want to talk about, yeah. Hit so more, more you know, he did this spaghetti Westerns, all the old Sergio Leone stuff, right. days of heaven, the mission, right. Won an Oscar finally for hateful eight, which was awesome. Was, yeah. Uh, but what, what's your favorite of his scores? I, I, everything that he does is so he's sort of like, um, Oh, what's his name that now writes for all the, uh, display that writes for Wes Anderson. Now it's such a okay. recognizable style. Yeah. Um, the mission is one of those just like heartbreakingly beautiful scores. Okay. It's just any, like anytime you hear like the choral parts in that or the big oboe solo in it, it's just like, I just, I get emotional just thinking about it. Oh. I think that that's probably my, my favorite just because it's so, I don't know, tender and powerful in all the religious context as well. So I think you got to show love to like good, the bad and the ugly. Definitely. That's like, that is probably as iconic, like a a few bars of music as there is in film history, like that or Jaws, you know, like the one, whatever. I I can't even do that. Like, yeah, totally. Oh yeah. yeah, My favorite of his scores is the untouchables though. I Ooh, love the untouchables. That is awesome with Da-da-da. the fucking electronic harmonica. <laughs> yeah, so oh, good. It's badass. Yeah. Woof, woof, woof. <laughs> it's so yeah, good. Uh, dude, I geek out for that one. That's I think that's my favorite of his scores. We should start an acapella group that just covers Morricone <laughs> film scores. <laughs> but this score was fucking awesome. Yeah, it's it is exactly what you needed it to be. It's super epic. When it first started, I was taken aback because more than most Morricone scores that you hear, it's it sounds more like a symphony. Like it's mm-hmm. epic Hollywood sounding. Sounds like a like a romantic classical period tone poem or something like Strauss or Wagner. I mean, yeah. it's it's awesome. Very very cool. So we'll talk about the cast a little bit. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger got lead billing as he should. Absolutely. Always. Yeah, he's playing um, the High Lord Calador. Yeah, which is interesting. I. I 
it seems as though they didn't somehow didn't have the rights to the Conan name for this movie. Do you think he was supposed to be playing Conan? Well, fans have sort of like retconned it now and decided like Kalidor is like Mithrandir. Okay. To, oh, it's just like, like a, a regional name, like a traveling name. That's badass. Um, or um, who else? Like Strider. Oh, you know, like it's like a, a name that he's known as in this area in was, this realm or whatever that's very very interesting that's what fans have decided like at the end of the day i think they just didn't have the legal right to call him conan which is strange being that delorentis produced all the conan yeah movies. it's just a little weird why they wouldn't have the right he could have made but, a phone call and been like we're naming him conan with a and K. it could be that the the <laughs> that dude you know uh robert e howard's estate or whatever Good like, call. wanted more money than dino was willing to pay i don't know which is shocking because the movie did, was wasn't cheap no. to make. <laughs> the budget was huge, <laughs> and uh, we got Brigitte Nielsen. I think this was her film debut. It was her first role. Yeah. So I, the story goes, it seems like that she was just found like in a fashion magazine mm-hmm. or something because she had the look. Basically, like, they needed just a tall, statuesque Dane <laughs> woman to play this part. Yeah. Um, but then she went on like. This same, very same year she had Rocky Four out. Yeah, she was busy. Then she had Cobra, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Like, she had a hot little run of a couple years. Yeah, definitely. And then did a lot of cocaine with Stallone. Yeah, that makes me... <laughs> the whole thing, like, her whole, like, story, especially watching this, makes me... There's, like, a little bit of sadness to it. Because oh, she seems for so sure. young and Eager. pure in this movie. Yeah. Like, not been, you know, soiled Tainted, by the yeah. business yet or whatever. Yeah, didn't let the... the st- the studio execs sink their creepy hooks in her and yeah. ruin her. Yeah. It's a tale as old as the 1930s. <laughs> <laughs> who else is in this? Uh, Sandal Bergman. Right. Same actress who played Valeria in Conan the Barbarian. Easy to get confused, but different wig. So Different wig. She won a Golden Globe for Conan. That makes sense. Like for best new star or some shit like right. that. Um, she throws down in this. It's a very compelling character. Gedrin. It is. It's a, It's interesting. Yeah, I, th- I find her sexy as hell in this. Yeah. A lot more than Valeria was. She, she um she was the principal dancer in Bob Fosse's semi-autobiographical film All That Jazz starring mm. Roy Scheider. Um, she was also in Xanadu. Not as good. And then, <laughs> yeah. So she'd done some stuff. She'd been on screen and then this was like, I don't know, sort of a meaty part Gedrin. Yeah, it was something. I think they auditioned her to be Red Sonia, and she said she'd rather play the queen because it was something different. I also think that she would have. I don't know. She probably would have been more confusing if it yeah. was both of. Yeah, exactly. Her with Valeria. her face uncovered. Oh and, yeah, yeah, totally. And, and and Schwarzenegger running around together, and you're like, how are this? How is this not Conan? Yeah, exactly. Um, the stars your boy. Uh, I do love Ernie Reyes Jr. as Prince Tarn. Yeah, he was. He's a badass. He we was, should we should definitely look into doing the Last Dragon. We I should love give it, the we Last should give Dragon. it the treatment because it is it is ripe for it. So this movie came out the same year as the Last Dragon. I think maybe Last Dragon dropped first. Mm-hmm. Those are like his first two things. I don't know where he came. He's like one of these things that must have been invented in like a laboratory, like Macaulay Culkin <laughs> or something. Just like, like a, where did like, he come? Just he's a he pops out as like a fully formed action <laughs> hero at age ten. Just. One of the more compelling performances in the movie. 
Yeah, he was an expert at martial arts. He was going for it. His sword skills were the best in the film. And he's like what nine? I think eight he was. When, when I, this was I made? think I feel like he might have been twelve when they okay. made it. But he he looks young. He looks much younger. And he never really sprouted. But he was also Kino. Yeah, that's right. He, <laughs> yeah, he went later on. He'd do Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two: The Secret of That Ooze. And then I learned today that he was like the leader of that little group of whatever the fuck marauders in the rundown, like. A, little, a group of little dudes that were fighting the rock. Do you remember that scene? No. They were like, oh, we'll watch that in between uh, okay. episodes here. <laughs> it's fucking crazy, though. But I didn't recognize it because he looks, he's just a, an old man. He is shredded and ripped up. But he's like walking around taunting the rock. He's like, hey, Kansas City. And it's like, what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. He's like, I, hey, I can't wait to see that. Hey, hip hop. <laughs> it's fucking weird. We're going to check yeah. that out for a show. Uh, Stars also Paul Smith. Yes. As, um, Falcon. Yeah, Tarn's dopey valet. I recognized him as he was uh, Beast Raban in the David Lynch Dune. Oh, shit. And he was also Bluto in the Robin Williams Popeye. Yeah, which I, I don't really have vivid memories of either of those two, but I thought he was like another bright spot in this movie. Oh, right. he was awesome. Yeah, he was good. And then uh, Ronald Lacey plays the evil Queen Gedren's like crony. Right. Who you would know as the Nazi henchman Tote yes. from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And he's awesome. Yeah, the sleazy Nazi with the the uh one who burned his coat hand. hanger. <laughs> yeah. The one who like yeah, who burned his hand and got the the what do they call that thing? The uh the figurehead or the, the um, medallion. The medallion the like medallion. burned into his head. Yes. Uh, his hand, yeah. Awesome stuff. So <sighs> yeah, that rounds it up. <laughs> Movie <Yeah>. time. Yay! <laughs> well, Intrepid listeners, we open with the iconic MG and Lion, so you know it's quality. Mm. Um, then, over the sound of wind blowing over a mythical prairie somewheres, <laughs> we see that Dino De Laurentiis presents a Richard Fleischer film. Always front center, Dino. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's like, you put my name first, motherfucker. <laughs> so, over a rugged, mountainous landscape, and I want to go ahead and say, like, the, the locations for all this, yeah. the filming is just beautiful. Uh, awesome. I, assume, I think it's all Italy. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, this shit looked like Rohan, kind of. It did. It part, totally, I was yeah. like, it could have been New Zealand. No one would have known. So, yeah, a scroller tells us that her name was Red Sonia. She lived in a savage world in an age of violence, a fierce warrior with flaming red hair. In the Hyborian kingdom, her quest for justice and vengeance became a legend. This is how the legend began. Mm. That, that, that concept of the Hyborian age. Yeah. I like looked up. It's sort of this fictitious period in history uh, between the sinking of Atlantis okay. and like the beginning of sort of recorded history. Yeah. Like they, they say, you know, People who are bigger nerds than me have decided it's <laughs> about me. like 10,000 BC. Okay, um, so so this this is arguing that it's happened in a in well. A I think real they acknowledge Earth. it's fictitious, but this right. is where it would have fallen in gotcha. the history of Earth. I wonder if Hyrule, like the Legend of Zelda stuff, falls in that same like Hyborian age yeah, sort of deal. That seems a little bit more modern, maybe, but I don't know. They had obviously it was like they were had the ability to make weapon like yeah. metal weapons yeah. and things like that it must have been the early days of having metal weapons right yeah. that's what i'm thinking steel steel had been found um so we fade in on a cottage burning down to nothing a woman lies motion motionless in the darkness near the burning home right a disembodied voice calls out her name and a glowing <laughs> ghost-like womanish figure appears 
who the like, who the fuck is this? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I call her the exposition Sonya. fairy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The <laughs> it's motion... like some Glinda the Good Witch type shit. Well, Glinda the Good Witch and also Obi Wan Kenobi. I was uh, like, yeah. I'm definitely getting like that kind of spirit vibe. So the woman stirs and the lights brighten to reveal Red Sonia. That's Brigitte Nielsen. I am almost certain because I have an eye for this. That when Sonya's first like getting up, there's just like a nip slip right off the bat. Like I thought I the same see her thing. Nipple. I thought the and same it's like, thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just it, it can't go unmentioned. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing, and I was like, was that a maybe? I'm it, maybe sure it's just the light. Half, maybe like a, that's maybe a half it was a nipple. Maybe it was a pasty. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? The mm-hmm. voice tells her that she's suffering, but vengeance will be hers. The voice says she'll have vengeance against Queen Gedrin, who wanted you for herself. <laughs> and then, and then we go the into voice like is like telling her all types of shit that she already knows. Yeah, you know this, but the people <laughs> watching like at home sure which, don't, because it probably it seems like it just happened. It happened a moment ago. <laughs> yeah. So in a flashback, we see a veiled Queen Gedrin, that Sandal Bergman, caress mm-hmm. Sonia's face. Sonia's momentarily, she like gets loose from the guard who's holding her, grabs a scepter, and then hits the queen square in the face and like cuts the shit out of it. Yeah, like, dude, it was pretty gross. Digs in deep. We take it right off the bat, right? That there's like a sort of a sexual Big obsession yeah. with Gedrin and Sonia. Okay. They're like, I, I don't know how Ged, like Gedrin has been like scouring the kingdom for her next the hottest kinky chick sex in the, in toys. The, in the yeah. realm. <laughs> yeah. So the voice, the disembodied voice tells Sonia that her rejection led to Queen Gedrin having her minions kill Sonia's family, mm. sexually assault Sonia, and then burn the family farm down. Yeah. So, yeah. So we Again, see all this weird, in the voice, The same. Remember when you were raped and your family was killed? It happened an hour ago. <laughs> Just don't forget. Don't block this trauma out. Uh, also, we see it her. all through flashbacks. What right. doesn't really make sense is the filmmakers could have just shown it. Right. And then the voice could have said, Sonia, I'm here to help you get vengeance. Yeah, whatever. I'm the revenge fairy. So the thing that I read was that a bunch of footage had been cut from the beginning, and I bet this exposition fairy was added to help fill in those gaps. That's probably why they shot Sonia in like a weird silhouette. Maybe it was like a shitty looking wig or something by that time. So, yeah, the voice tells Sonia, you're going to need your strength in your quest for vengeance. For your sword arm, you must have no equal. I give you that strength. The glowing figure produces a sword and christens Sonya with it and then just fades away. She's like the patron saint of revenge Who the hell is he? Yeah, exactly. Who is this apparition? They never say. Sonya struck that like Christ pose. Yeah, it's this weird pullback of of her striking a Jesus. And then we get the (laughs) opening titles. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so the opening titles start. And Morricone's banging score starts to play. Oh, yeah, dude. We see a man riding an armored horse across a grassland, mountains in the background. It looks fucking unreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, the score is a little more classical than I'm used to hearing from Morricone, but I totally dig it. It sounded it like the it sounded a little bit like the original Conan and the Barbarian yeah, there score. Were, there it's were, very epic. There were a couple of moments where I was like, was this theme? I was like, is that Basil Polidorus? I think that those scores, yeah, is that it? But it's not. So the guy on the horse is Kalidor. That's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, and you couldn't fault someone for being almost immediately confused by seeing Arnold on screen and he his name first in the credits and thinking this is an Arnold movie. <laughs> yes. Um, but as we end the near the credits, Kalidor comes to a rope bridge over a gorge that has collapsed, so he turns around and goes back the way he came. There was like a killer shot with the anamorphic lens yeah. when he was approaching because 
anamorphic lens, if you like try to pan, you get that sort of walleye, like uh -huh. fisheye vision. Yeah. And whoever this photographer was, the cinematographer, mm -hmm. was like hella skilled. You mentioned him, right? That cinematographer um, was, his name is Giuseppe Rotunno, an Italian who was the first ever, let me see if I can find it, the first ever non-American cinematographer accepted as a member of the American Society of Cinematographers. He worked with Fellini. He worked with T Terry Gilliam. I mean, he knew badass. what was up. He knew what he was doing. He like killed this shot where he kept... Uh, I don't want to say Conan. He kept Calador, he <laughs> kept Calador so centered up that he never like started to distort, even as the background, like the, right. the edges of the frame were. Also, I'm wondering how comfortable would you be riding a horse across a rope bridge, even if it had not been collapsed? N not Hell at all. No, I would probably be leading the horse just in case it fell. But even then, like, even then, yeah, yeah. it was like that's a that's a bad proposition. Yeah, we're talking about like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom yeah, it's style like rope bridge. And wood planks. Not no. not sturdy enough for a horse. Probably the thing's gonna <laughs> wobble like shit. Yeah, dude, imagine a horse. The horse is top heavy. It's just gonna go right over. Yeah, not cool. So. Um, we then cut to some sort of canonical temple, <laughs> and a ceremony is underway. I think you pronounced that wrong. Canonical? Canonical. Canonical is when is something is work? canon. The yeah, is. is working. A conical temple. Canonical <laughs> is when yeah something becomes canon. This thing was had. This movie is chock full of like awesome matte paintings or models yeah. or whatever these were. That this looked. Awesome. Yeah, it looked it looked beautiful. So they're inside the temple. Dozens of sword wielding women <laughs> surround a glowing green spiky ball thingy. Kind of like this, about the size of a basketball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good. The comparison. glowing effects are pretty cool. Yeah, they're they're awesome. Uh, a group of priestesses then, clad in some very Nazi pageant golden white outfits. Oh shit! Enter like there was a lot of shit that looked like if you went back and looked at some Nuremberg rallies. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was like this movie did not skimp on costumes. No. There was like such a variety of costumes. The costume this thing. and set design for this movie cost a fortune, look like they cost a fortune, but man, does the movie feel upscale because of it. Yeah. It's sort of like, it reminded me of parts of Masters of the Universe, where I was like, this movie looks this amazing. This is when they were spending money, yeah, exactly. and this is when they were trying to cut corners. But this place was like, wall-to-wall -wall babes, like a Motley Crue video, or something <laughs> like that. The, 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 the priestesses and everything were just smoking hot, you right. know? It was like, ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> totally so the high priestess asks the lead warrior like temple guard woman varna played by janet agrin where is the lord of her hercania hercania uh, yeah um who i think we i instantly was like oh that must be arnold right yeah yeah who we don't hey, we don't know who it is yet right but yeah so the redheaded Varna answers. That's important. The redheaded Varna answers yeah. that uh, the Lord, his his lordship, has not arrived yet. The high priestess says that he should be there for the destruction of the talisman, but we ain't got time to wait around. So she decides <laughs> to go on with without whoever the Lord of Hyrcania is. The priestess, the priestesses all take their positions around the talisman. The high priestess begins the ceremony by invoking the god of the high gods. Which, what do you think they're rocking with, like the? Greek or Roman style, like there's tons of gods. Druids is what more of like like druid or um like yeah Germanic uh, okay. Norse oh, gods yeah, is like sort of like Norse what I type yeah. shit. Okay, that makes sense to me. So she says in a bit of handy exposition that this is the talisman 
that you, God, used <laughs> to create the world and all things, but it has become too powerful for us and we got to destroy it before it destroys the world. That's one of those things that like makes me wonder then where did the talisman come from? <laughs> like God did created. God create the talisman and then the talisman is what he used to create everything else? But why? I don't know. I don't know either. But why? But why? So as this is happening, we get a cut to the temple's exterior and we see a group of horsemen approaching. A man begins scaling the walls of the temple. That's I call uh, Ronald Lacey. Yeah. The priestess, the high priestess, asks God's forgiveness and gives us some more exposition, telling us that the talisman draws its power from the light and must be shut off in eternal darkness. Outside, then, we see Queen Gedrin. That's going to be important to remember. Yeah, just clearly. remember this, you guys. It gets mentioned. Yeah. There's no shortage of times they mention it. But yes, it draws power from the light, and you can, I guess, sap its power That's by right. sealing it away in darkness. Right. So outside, Queen Gedrin's rolled up. Uh, she gives a signal to her henchman, Eichel, who produces what looks like a, a rowdy-ass, like, multi-pronged shuriken throwing star <laughs> yes. thing. Um, back inside, High Priestess pulls something that looks like a scepter, out of the altar, this releases some kind of counterweight that causes the altar to begin to close around the talisman. <laughs> Excruciatingly slowly. Yeah, it's like, why doesn't that thing just go, Ka-choom. You could have started this five minutes ago. I know. You, someone could have pulled the pin while you were talking. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So as it closes, she asks God, you know, forgive us one last time. Just then, I call, we, we guess that this, there's, it's like an open air situation because I call throws the weapon and hits the high priestess dead in her fucking non-functional golden armor. <laughs> and she, like, keels over dead instantly. Yeah, she cries out. Is it very, so like, think, So this thing dead. was, like, I don't know if it was magical or I, if it was poisoned like it or something. Be, it has to be magical, or that armor is just for shit. Yeah. It just looks great. So Gedrin's goons burst through the doors and begin battling the Temple Guard women. Uh, they seem equal to the task because they're wailing away on the bad guys. I liked that. Like I did the women too. were like superior fighters. It reminded me of like the the early scenes in Wonder Woman when they're yeah, the Amazons and the Amazon. Yeah, the Amazon women are just whipping all sorts of ass. This is one of the moments where I was like, as an as a now sort of a sort of adult. I am an adult, but like <laughs> like pro women, like strong women characters. Yeah, I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, some women kicking ass. And they like were just this, outnumbered. It was yeah, the problem. Right, there was exactly. too many. Right, so they force the intruders out and seal it, but then we see more bad guys scaling the side of the temple, and then they start, like, dropping in the temple with ropes. Yeah. While this is all happening, we see Eichel run over to the high priestess body, which is absolutely soaked in blood. Oh, shit. <laughs> like, well, she, she, maybe she wasn't dead because she's, like, bled out all over the place. She's like, Maybe this thing has, like, got, like, fucking uh, Ebola on it or something. You just are bleeding from every... <laughs> or from all your sweating orifices. blood. You're, yeah. She is drenched in blood. <laughs> he grabs the scepter pin thing, slides it back into place, and stops the talisman from being sealed away in the pit. Meanwhile, the, the bad lead guy, warrior Varna was like whipping yeah, ass Yeah, I loved too. all the cuts to Varna. She is kicking it. Um, the bad guys begin to overwhelm the temple guard. With the battle inside all but over, however, Queen Gedrin finally rides in, hops off her horse, and approaches the talisman. <laughs> Looking like Cher. Yeah, man, she looks... She, I'm telling you, like, she walked in, I was like, just the crown, the mask, her her outfit. I was like, God, the costume design is awesome. Yeah. Um, she's wearing a golden mask that covers part of her face that was wounded by Red Sonia in the open. The costume design, yeah, we say fucks pretty hard. Looking <laughs> at the talisman, she says, so this can make worlds or shatter them by storm and earthquake. Mm-hmm. She orders her minions to remove the talisman from its resting place. During all this, we see Varna has survived and is watching from hiding. <laughs> so four of these goons with helmets 
um, they look like the guys that pull the levers that activate the Death Star. Yes. They got the, like, the, the, like the little pin slit to look through. And then they had skulls but they had, on yeah, top. Giant horns and skulls. So they come up and they like lift it up and the talisman's already in some sort of a carrier. Yeah, it's kind of like how they carry the Ark of the Covenant around. Yeah, exactly. It's in a like a litter of some kind. So Gedrin calls one of her goons over and commands him. He's like, she's like, hey, touch this. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know, Queen Gedrin, but he, he's finally touch anything he, you like, want. Touch it. Yeah, so, <laughs> so he touches it and vanishes into thin air. That was pretty corny effects. Yeah. Like it just, he just disappeared. Like yeah, he just turned gone. green for a hot second and then was gone. Yeah, so Gedrin's like I wanted some, like some face melting type shit. I did shit, too. I was, I was hoping for some like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Fire of God stuff. Yeah. But he just vanishes. Gedrin's like shocked and giddy. She then orders her smoking hot handmaiden to touch it. <laughs> This woman, it was Laura Lamberti. She's st- well. There are her. there's tons of Italians in this movie. This woman somehow, despite her name, IMDb says that she's French. I don't know, but she was so attractive. It was like distracting. Yeah, she steals every scene she's in. Even she's when just she's in not the background, talking. and you're like, "What's going on in the background?" There it was yeah. like, yeah, it was, what she's are you doing like, again? She's Queen Gedron's new arm candy. We take it right. Um, so the girl understandably feels kind of raw about touching it, but Gedrin won't take no for an answer. So she, the girl touches the talisman and nothing happens. Gedrin cackles and says, the legends are true that only women may touch the talisman. Dude, I feel like this is like the horniest movie we've talked about on this podcast. <laughs> There's like, everything feels like it's sexually loaded. Well, she's only like women can touch it. She's like stroking the talisman. I'm thinking like, this is like, balls. this thing is definitely like, I feel like a, a clit metaphor. Oh yeah. Or something. It's just like only women can find it. Only yeah, women. It's just it's sort just of bizarre. But. The round mound. So she, she motions, <laughs> she motions and I call commands the talisman be covered and carried out. Uh, Icall then asks what to do with the captured temple guards and priestesses. Gedrin sort of motions over to the open pit. Fucking vicious. Yeah, I know. As the screaming women are dropped into the pit, Varna escapes through a secret passageway in the wall, but some goons immediately see the door open and chase after her. Mm-hmm. We hear, this is gruesome, like we hear the women in the pit like crying out in pain. Did you? Did it make you laugh? Did it make you think of Austin Powers? And a little Mustafa, bit, yeah. And he's like, I'm alive. Yeah, it, I'm badly hurt, but I'm alive. He's like, I think my leg is broken. I think, yeah. Let uh, me try to stand on it. Snap. Not, ah, but, yes, it's definitely broken. Yeah, but but they did a really good job of like creating a mental image of all these poor oh, women with snap. Like a pile. Like they're good. Yeah, they're just going to die. That's it for them. So all these women. But how di- slowly the doors are closing when she goes to reseal it. And rough. it's like, you're just hearing it just was dragging on and on yeah, the, the yelping. Yeah, so the, the baddies roll out as the doors to the to the pit close forever. Um, elsewhere, our boy Calidor still riding around the plains. He stops when he sees Varna running along the edge of a cliff being chased by bad guys. Right, we, he's still stuck on the wrong side of the gorge right. or like, whatever. How the hell do I get around this? So he takes off in pursuit of what he's seen across the way. Uh, we see Varna run up to a zip line <laughs> sure. that the temple guard, I guess, had in case of emergencies. There and was like a nice touch. I'm sure it was just a little miniature or something they set up, but like you could see the the tip of the temple in the background, yeah, yeah. like over on the top of the trees. Yeah, the, well, the, that's a nice little the touch. The attention to detail for the setting shots, like the establishing shots and stuff is pretty awesome. So she slides off the edge of the cliff and over a ravine. But as she's sliding, the bad guys fire off some crossbows and nail her in the back. Mm-hmm. Somehow she manages to hang on to the zip line. All every ounce of strength. Yeah. When she finally arrives at the other side of the ravine, Calidor is conveniently there to catch her. 
He picks her up and sets her down next to a tree, yanks the arrow out of her back, because at first Ouch. I was like, he's just going to like lay her down with that arrow sticking out, but I'm glad that they like that made him pull it out first. The arrowhead was massive. G- giant. <laughs> and I think yeah, the look on his face lets us know, it's like, that was not good. Um, so yeah, as he tosses the arrow away, a bad guy start bad guys start to arrive, and he takes like all seven of these dudes out like handily. Last dude, he just like lops his head off of him, flying up in the air like I love humorously. A, like a backhand, single arm sword swing that takes a dude's head off. Which awesome. I ask, how did those guys get there? <laughs> did they all ride the zip line? Yeah, they took turns. No, uh, no one knows. Was no. this hours later? <laughs> I don't know, but they were just there. Or were there actually? Other guys? He, he set her down right at the tree that the zip line was tied to, and they came like running out from the bushes or something. Yeah, I shit. don't know if, if if like some other guys knew a quick way to ride around the ravine <laughs> or what. Know. We don't. Yeah, there there are lots of inconsistencies. Don't worry this, about whatever, it. Yeah, we'll get to That's more. That's why the director Fleischer said, "Don't worry about it." <laughs> So Calador turns his attention back to Varna, who tells him that the talisman's been stolen, but that it must be retrieved and destroyed. Mm-hmm. She tells him that he's got to take her to find her sister. Thankfully, <laughs> she knows right where she's at. Calador yeah, can only so nod in agreement. Motherfucker hasn't spoken a word yet. Not a word one. I feel like we're 15 <laughs> minutes in, and... I just feel like I'll say on this particular day, they didn't have sound equipment. That's what I'm saying. Like, I promise you that's what it was. And they just dubbed in the little bit yeah. of talking later. Yeah, that makes sense. It takes so much more time and money to record sound. Oh, yeah. They're probably just like, just nod, giving it an intense Arnold nod. Uh, who is Varna's sister? What's going to happen next? Who is this mysterious Calador? <laughs> yes, the, the, the trap has been laid. The, the scene has been set. You're uh, all going to have to tune in next time because we need more bourbon in our glasses. Yes. So uh, we'll be back. Yeah.